Hello everyone, Jeremy here, and really quick, before I start the show, there's a few things I need to cover that I forgot to mention in the show, and being such an Adult Swim-themed episode, I just can't ignore these things. When I got home from work today, there was something waiting on me. Two somethings waiting on me at that. Uh, Our listeners know how much we love to get packages from Adult Swim, and two of them today, people. Uh, The first one being a package uh, for the jellies. Uh, You know, this is a show I believe premiered last year, and uh, I'm assuming this is season two coming up here, but it looks like May 19th, so be sure to uh, set your DVRs and check that out. They sent us an awesome white tote bag that says the jellies on it, and there's something to be said about a good tote bag. Everyone's got a tote bag to give out, but only a few of them are fucking quality. Let me tell you something, people. This is quality. This is fabric. This is this is unrippable. So a uh, big thank you to Adult Swim for that. They've also sent us over season seven of The Venture Brothers, uh, which isn't even out yet. It's uh, I think it comes out June 4th. Yeah. So they sent it to us a little bit early to check out and talk about on the show. So, you know, being that I just got it, I haven't had a chance to enjoy this stuff yet. But once I do enjoy it, you'll be sure uh, you're going to hear about it. So, again, The Jellies premiering May 19th. I believe probably at midnight on Adult Swim. And keep an eye out if you're a Venture Brothers fan. Season 7 coming out on DVD and Blu-ray June 4th. All right, now let's get right to the show. You're listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Your sidekick in the quest for knowledge, power, and entertainment. So strap yourselves in and prepare for victory! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley, and both of my co-hosts are not here today. They had prior obligations, but I'm certainly not alone. I have not only a podcaster with me today, but quite possibly one of the podcasters. You've probably heard him on Last Podcast on the left or seen him on The Wolf of Wall Street or Heroes Reborn. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Henry Zabrowski. Henry, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, bro. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be alive. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're alive. And I'm, I'm sitting here wondering, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, this is career suicide, I think, having you on. You're going to exodus our listeners to your show. <laughs> no, 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 no. I tell you, I think it's important. I uh, I don't take a lot of advice from uh, I miss her, Joe Rogan, but he did say something that I do believe, which is that there's no such thing as competition anymore because the Internet is it's infinite. Right. There's so many rooms. We all got to share the love, bro. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? But, you know, you do find podcasters out there like that that will not associate or help promote or do anything with other podcasts. And it's just infuriating. But it's it- very, very silly. We're a part of it. We, the, the Internet's so big. And there's so many human beings that want to listen to whatever. And they, they are hungry for content and for shows. So there's no such thing as too much. Yeah, and finding shit is not easy, so we all do the best we can do, don't we? I'm going to say some of us do. Some <laughs> of us don't. Some of us are Some of us are, are, are in the middle of the pack, but they got to work harder, but you know. We'll no, but you get exactly out of it what you put into it. That's what I found, and I've been doing this six years now, and when I slack, that's how the show is. It's just kind of, you know, slacking. No one's reaching, no one's out, reaching to out, us. out to us. Money's not coming in, you know. You got to put in what you want to get back. That's how we feel at last podcast on the left, where we um, we work really hard because 
mostly we know that our audience expects a certain level of quality from us, especially on the research end. So we really put as much as humanly possible into our show because now because as the audience has grown bigger, there's a responsibility there to make sure that we are doing everything possible to to roll out, honestly, thorough shows, engaged, and we're having as much fun as humanly possible. And I think you're exactly right. You get what you put in. Yeah, and and it definitely shows in your show. I mean, it's uh, what a great show it is. I just listened to uh, the one where you guys were talking about the elephant that they had to uh, electrocute to kill. Those are my favorite kinds of shows. I love history. Yeah. I love history stuff that it becomes like far more absurd than anything that you could just make up. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and that's funny you bring that up. I would love to see you yourself on uh, the show Drunk History. I think that would be fucking phenomenal. Yeah, it'd be hilarious. I'd love to do it. That would be awesome. So how did you uh, get your start in comedy then? Um, I just have always been doing it. I uh, I have been uh, basically doing sketch comedy since I was 15 years old. I started doing it at my youth group in in high school. We used to have a youth group at a library that we used to put on sketch comedy shows, and then that turned into me doing sketch comedy at the uh, talent shows for the high school. And then, I mean, I just kept going because um, I got positive validation for it. Um, I got all of the shit that uh, George Carlin talks about where I people pat me on the head saying, good job, little boy, good job, which focused me. Um, And I've been doing it ever since also because I don't have, especially now, I don't have any other skills. (laughs) <laughs> if you call this a skill, I don't really have anywhere else to go. This is definitely a skill. No I doubt mean, this about is, it. I ha- this is it. This is it. So it has to be good because if not, I will be the funniest person at the homeless shelter, which I'll do. <laughs> I will do it. I, I mean, because I don't know if I can be hired again. I don't know if I can go back to an office shop. Do you get back? Like, because if you Google me, like if you go to do apply for an office job, you would I would just be screwed. <laughs> like I'm just like just literally painted as the devil. Uh, it's not going to happen for me. It's a talent. You know, there's so many people out there who uh, consider themselves comedians, but only a small handful of those said comedians that are actually funny. And everything I've seen of you, man, you just keep my ass laughing. So keep up that good work. But uh, I'm. What about the uh, comedy troupe? You had an early comedy troupe called Murder Fist, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we've never disbanded. We don't believe in breaking up. Oh, nice. Uh, So it's one of those that it's always just kind of waiting till whenever we'll do that show again. But, yeah, we've I was been with Murder Fist for 15 years. I still work with uh, two of the members of Murder Fist, like very closely. Ed Larson, who I host a show with in Los Angeles called Classy Night Out. And then uh, my partner, Holden McNeely, who helped me write my character special on Netflix and who also uh, we're working together on projects now. So that's nice. Those working relationships never stop because they're those are my family. That's amazing. That's, you know, as anyone who's uh, been in collaborative efforts, you know, for people to stay together and on the same page for that long is a pretty rare thing sometimes. I mean, it's not even about staying on the same page. For us, it's just like we still enjoy each other and the time apart allows us to kind of miss each other and come back and remember what it was that we like found funny about each other. Like, obviously, there are many years that you're going to be a little more tense than not because because you just were old bros. You know, I mean, we've known each other since we were 18 years old. So there's going to be times when, you know, like you're not going to see eye to eye, but we just like to laugh above all. So that's what we search for. 
So what, so what did a murder fist show or what does rather a murder fist show uh, consist of? What is it just a sketch comedy or is it just stand up? We were a sketch comedy group that believed in a heavy metal way of doing comedy. It was um, a lot of blood, a lot of um, very big prop work, like huge set pieces, crazy costumes, very theatrical, sweating all over the audience, like breaking furniture, being really, really intense, but doing uh, what we believe to be the idea of doing um, very over-the-line content in terms of, like, quote-unquote, offensive nature but the idea is if you go so far that it comes back around like murder fist was about was sketch comedy about psychopaths written by psychopaths and, and stuff that we were just specifically very um upset about uh and we we worked on that for a long time and we we did sketch comedy before you had to go to school to do sketch comedy now that there's so many comedy academies that you have to fucking be a part of to even do sketch comedy anywhere in any like sort of significant venue in Los Angeles or New York, never mind Chicago. Um, but you know, hopefully there's still some indie groups out there doing something. Right. Simpler time. It sounds like. Yeah. So you, uh, almost were on SNL too, or you had gone out for SNL, correct? Yeah. I tested for Saturday Night Live. Yeah. In, uh, 2010, I went through the whole process. And, and I don't, I'm not even aware of that process. I mean, I imagine it's just several auditions, interviews, or... Well, I worked for Lorne Michaels. I did a pilot for him uh, in 2010, and they liked what I was doing on the show. It's hard to describe, man. It's one of those things where you have to sort of get into their orbit. Eventually, mm-hmm. they do kind of... I think nowadays things have really changed. I know Lorne himself used to go out and scout... Uh, they used to have big showcases in Chicago, and they'd have a showcase in New York, and they'd have a showcase in the Groundlings. They would do these types of things, and Lauren would go see. I don't know if it works like that anymore. I have no clue. But at my time, but all, there's a collective people that sort of like you get ushered into the testing process. If you're in the testing process, you have a good chance of getting on the show, which means you've already been sort of pre-approved to get to that second level, and then right. they want to see it. But a lot of times it's, you know, they can give you notes, they can adjust you after that testing process, they want to bring you back. Um, I was brought in pretty much straight into the end of this process, which is a nighttime, essentially gigantic callback at 8H in front of Lorne and all of the producers. Wow. Yeah. No pressure, huh? It's awful. (laughs) <laughs> right. It was one of the worst nights of my life. Yes, it was terrible. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean to open up no, an no, old no, wound no. or anything like that. No, it's just one of those. It's just it takes you the 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 anxiety. I think will just take years off your life. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. No. But it was a you know it was fun to do. I'm glad that I got to do it. I'm glad that I got to see it. I've been in high pressure at the time. I was also very green, and since then I've been in much more high pressure situations. That right. all kind of even pale in comparison to that situation, which I think they honestly, it's kind of overkill, to be honest. There's really, once you book that job, it's no way it's as nerve wracking as that audition is. And I, when I auditioned for Wolf Wall Street, my final audition was in a hotel room with Scorsese. And oh, wow. that audition was so easy. That audition was so easy and friendly that I don't really understand why it has to be any other way since. Why there has to be so much pressure and yeah. I mean, because he was just so cool about it. He was just like, hey, do you think? And we just did the pieces and he was joking (laughs) around with us and he had no sort of like, he was not, it it was, I don't know, he was just like a regular guy. 
Right. He didn't need a phalanx of people around him to make him appear important, sort of like Lord Michaels. That's I, I can I would imagine that a hard thing to find someone who's not putting on airs in Hollywood. Honestly, it's it's almost the opposite. Really, the, the exception is is that the it really the exception is Dickens. For the most part, if you make it to a certain level in this business, from what I have, the people I have been around, you are a you not it's not never level and never sane. That's not what I mean. But most of the part, you're pretty cool. Like you have to be able to kind of hang and be a cool person in many different environments in order to get to a certain level. And most of the people I know that are very powerful within Hollywood are that I have met have been super fucking chill. Really? They're just fun. Yeah, they're just because what do they give a shit? They don't care. They don't they, they don't they've gotten past the point where they really care what people think of them. Right. So they don't really care. And so they're very serious about their work. Some more demanding than others, but you know, DiCaprio was fucking cool. Uh, every but all those everybody involved in Wolf of Wall Street was super cool. Anybody, but any other star that I've met, I work with Robert De Niro. He was super cool. He was never a dickhead. Like I feel like there's a people that want to act like that um, are missing something essential to their personality. No doubt. And that's kind of refreshing to hear, actually. I'm glad uh, that's that's the case. I, I, I want to get rid of this image of everyone in Hollywood being stuck up. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't completely get rid of it because sure. the problem is those people are surrounded by assholes. And but it's just once you get through them, gotcha. you know I mean, once you're pa- once you're just with. DiCaprio, it's nice because then he's just a funny, normal guy for the most part. He's just kind of like your standard, like he's a dude, bro. He likes partying. He likes acting. He's really right. good at. He's good at his job. Like that's what he does. He takes it very, very seriously. Um, and it's fun to watch. You can learn from him. But his agent, I don't know. <laughs> so they're kind of like the gooey center to the asshole candy. Well, that's what you do too. But when you have all of these kind of middlemen and handlers, right. their jobs are to be the asshole so that you don't have to be. I uh, yeah yeah we get a lot of that when we approach people at conventions too. So I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Uh, you had mentioned the characters uh, on Netflix. I got to touch on that because man, that was fucking hilarious. Uh, one of the best uh, lines to take from that show for me was "Don't be afeard." <laughs> I love oh, yes. that. <laughs> it's so stupid, man. Yeah, Netflix kind of let us do whatever the hell it is we wanted to do. It was pretty great. They were very, very uh, hands off with our process. And you, you play this uh, this seemingly asshole who gets killed and gets to keep like looking back onto the different uh, lives he's lived and some of the things that you see, like <laughs> the pilot uh, gig where he was the pilot for every rock star who's ever gone down in an airplane. <laughs> that yeah, was priceless. I love that bit, man. That comes from an old murder fist sketch, that character that technically we named him. We couldn't – I forget we had – we called him Pepper Cheddar, but his nickname – his original name was Brick Cheddar. But that – we didn't want it to be too close to the Anchorman character Brick. But on our sketch, when we did a sketch of him, it was this just guy named Brick Cheddar that is still one of my favorite – like I don't know how to put it. He's just this like id-like force that <laughs> – all of this, it's like everywhere he goes, he's fine, but everybody else falls into complete disaster. 
one thing uh, that happened in the episode that I just can't stop thinking about, especially every time I kind of see a picture of you now, is in the show, a character mistakes you for Jim Gaffigan. Does that really happen? Do you get mistaken for Jim Gaffigan? I did. I definitely did. When I was a little softer, yes. Okay. I was, when gonna... I was a little bit heavier. I would, co- I mean, I literally constantly. <laughs> wow. Literally constantly. And when doing shows, people mislabel me as Jim Gaffigan. This is back in the day. Like, I don't know, man. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking at your picture here on the Skype board, and I don't see Jim Gaffigan here. But at the same time, like, I guess I can see it if I were to add weight to what I'm looking at here. Yeah, man, that's it's. I don't know. I, I honestly, it's just one of those. Before that, it was the younger brother from, um, oh, what was that? That pawn shop show. Not pawn. It was that show with some other dude where I got. When I was much heavier, I don't know, man. People say whatever. I guess. Jesus. I don't know. They'll just say they're just trying to connect, man. So they're just saying stuff to just see what happens. It's like when I had a guy online say horrible shit about my sister and I basically told him to go fuck himself. Like, I don't I do not respond to anybody who says anything nasty in the Internet. I refuse to because I'll, because what I've now learned is when I I basically lit into him and then the dude was like, Love the show, man. Hail Satan. They're like, oh, man, you just wanted to say hello. That's fucked up. How was that even rewarding to that person? Because they're terrible. They're all, it's just, it's, it's people who don't understand the difference between positive and negative attention. And that's one thing I would be, you know, I would love this podcast to be as, as uh, successful as the last podcast on the left. But, you know, that's one thing I would always uh, kind of fear. You know, we've had those kind of things come in, obviously not on any kind of level that you've seen. And when you, when they first start coming in, you know, when you're not used to it, it can be soul crushing at first, but you know, it's you, a, it is difficult because uh, especially we are an independent production, right? Like last podcast on the left is is by us for us. It is right. We do. We've been doing this show just the three of us for a really long time. We are honestly just straight up, like as indie as you can get, or as legit as you can get. And as people, as time goes, people get like when it gets bigger, people have resentment and they want because they want it to belong to them you know they want it to belong so i can see what kind of get like upset when something seems to go past what they they thought it was their like kind of secret and then it gets big like i understand that that's it's maybe difficult take i'm not really sure but you know in the end you can just take you can take total solace in the fact that if someone says something nasty to you it's because they are missing again they're missing something essential they are putting whatever it is that they're saying to you they are basically saying it into a mirror to themselves because they don't think that it'll ever get to you right. and also they I, I also believe that a lot of times people look at they, they are jealous of the fact that you put something together and it's up and out and they couldn't get past their own fear to figure out how to just stick with something and make it until a bunch of people saw it. Envy's a crazy thing, isn't it? It really messes with one's head. They believe that they could do better with whatever whatever you have. They believe it is wasted on you and it should be theirs. Right. Um, but they didn't do the work that it would take to get there. Nor do they have even an idea or a concept of how much work goes into something like that. No, they don't. They don't particularly because it's and I understand it's daunting 
when you're already beaten down, man, when you're already working really hard and like, let's say you have a full-time job and you also like are trying to get art going. Like I understand it's really, really difficult. That's how we started. You know, Mm -hmm. when we started making, when we started doing sketch comedy in New York, there was a period in time where me and Holden McNeely, we worked together in an office and we used to fight like fucking animals. We used to scream at each other at lunch and do stuff. And I think a part of it, we talked about it afterwards, like years afterwards. And we're like, I think at that time period, we started to realize just how much work was involved in what we were going to do and how big the mountain was that we were looking at. Because we showed up in New York in 2005 with no connections. We don't come from show business and anywhere in our family. We don't come from money. We are uh, people that really had to make up all this shit as we went along. And when you realize that we were working full-time jobs on top of then comedy was then another full-time job on top of it. So I understand that people see, they, they struggle with that. Like if you're having a hard time, like you, like let's say you have a family, but you also want to do art and you're having a hard time getting over the amount of work that it takes to do it. I can see how it turns into bitterness and you start poking at people that are doing it. Right. But it's about, you know, if you could come to peace with the life where you're at and what it is that you're doing, then maybe it would be okay. Like, it just sounds like, again, you're just deeply unhappy about something that you ultimately could control if you wanted to, but you haven't started taking control yet. Yeah. You become the lightning rod for their uh, frustration. Yes. So we got to talk about the last podcast on the left a little bit here. I mean, this this show's getting over one million downloads a week, and uh, it's a comedy podcast on all things horror. For those who haven't heard it, uh, with yourself, uh, Ben Kissel and Marcus Parks, what's your history with these guys? Are these the same people that you were uh, you were doing Murder Fist with? They were. We Ben Kissel lived with Holden McNeely, who we used to rehearse at their apartment all the time. And Ben Kissel was a stand-up that we used to just do shows with for many, many years. It's, you know, we just did shows together as a big comedy community. And Marcus worked for a uh, for an online radio station. What the hell was it called? Freeform Radio? What the hell was it called? I forget what it was called. And he... Uh, Basically, would come and he like he interviewed Kissel one time, and I you know interviewed with him one time for the show that he used to do called Portrait of a Comedian. This is back when we had nothing going on, but we thought like we understood everything, so it was very <laughs> funny to, to, to listen to those now. Um, but he uh, we that's we kind of formed a relationship. They started a podcast called Roundtable of Gentlemen with a group of uh, which is still it's still the archives are still out, but obviously it is. Um, it's been it's been we haven't recorded a new episode in a long time, but it's, it's still out there to see what you can listen to it. Um, and it's great. It's all of our old friends and also a bunch of people that have since become very, very famous on the like that. You could hear them when it's like when they were babies, like you hear Michael Che and Alana Glazer uh, basically when they just started doing comedy, which is fun. Wow. Uh, but we uh, – that's how it started. It started a network out of uh, – Marcus had a garage that he turned into a uh, studio. And then Marcus started working in a place called the uh, Creek in a Cave in Long Island City. And then we recorded another basement. And then we left from there and we made our own network. That's incredible. Yeah, that's what we do, man. We just never stopped never stopping. Yeah, that's what we tried. I know we, we hit potholes here. But, you know, just keeping keep on keeping on and seeing what comes down the road your way. The the only thing I really think that the only thing that you can't fail if you don't quit 
because eventually your number comes back up again. Yeah, and that's what we keep seeing. Like we just like a few weeks ago had some new podcast uh, app that we had never heard of pick us up, and all of a sudden we have a new audience. You know, we're getting all these new downloads that just a few weeks before we're like, man, maybe we better hang it up. You know, you just never know. You never know. You never know, man. You really don't. So, how did you guys then settle on uh, talking horror? Like, what are you guys just all just huge horror fans, or what was it? It's just what we did. We just, just did. we wanted to create a show that was legitimately what we were joking about already. So that's kind of what we did. It's essentially, it was like, what are we already joking about? We're already joking about serial killers and aliens and ghosts, and we just wanted to use that. You, you hardly had to change your uh, your your technique. I mean, you were well, already doing like, it. I feel like it'd be different. I mean, I feel like if you're trying on a personality and 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 you are faking something straight up like if you believe like if you think that you need to pretend to be something else especially for something along the lines of podcasts or or, i mean i think any art like i feel like if you obviously you can try on personas and shit but if it doesn't ring true it's not going to ring true with the audience as well like we we are these people like obviously on last podcast we are a little bit more exaggerated versions of who we are in real life but we we, this is this was our passion and at one point it was very cursory at one point it was just like us just kind of joking around it really was just dudes talking at each other but we have since at some point marcus and i were both like we want to be fucking experts we want to be experts we want to we want to hold it to the chalice of all this information in our minds whatever it does to us and that's what we have since done how many episodes do you guys have under your belt now we have almost 400, including the side stories episodes. Wow, that's incredible. And you also do a uh, like last stream on the left, correct? Are you ca- is that counted in on those episodes? We have no, I don't count those, but no, we've been doing those for three years now too, which is great. I love doing the stream. The stream is one of my favorite things to do because it is just straight up like we just get to be goof asses. <laughs> and it's great. We get to just watch old dumb shit. It's great. And what about the uh, live performance? How does that vary from what you hear in the podcast or does it? It's completely different. We do a show that is very, very different than anything else where we are a a three headed stand up show. So we do it like we basically do it. So you'd have to come and see that show to do like to see what we do. It's like we cover all the topics that we'd cover normally on last podcast, but it's just a lot of just joking around about it. That'd be fun. And you guys, you guys tour all over the world, right? We do. Now we do. We've never done, we haven't completely done it, but now we're doing it because we're going to um, Australia and we're going to the UK this year, which I'm really, really excited about. That would be fun. And you guys, all that, all that, the world tour, all handled still independently, all yourselves. I mean, we got a, we have a booking agent, you know, like we, but that should happen, you know, and we got our managers and stuff like that. That's what kind of what, that's what did it, honestly. But, do we it's i mean it's still just us we are right. not, not anybody else's uh we don't have a parent company right like you can't you can't trace us to like general motors <laughs> i mean like eventually it is just us that's awesome man i am so envious hopefully one day we'll get there we'll get there dude man you're already doing it we are, and we're having a great time. You know, it's funny, when we started, it was essentially just sitting here talking, and just over six years has evolved into talking to so many different uh, celebs, great talents, going to amazing places. It's already been far more rewarding than we ever, ever expected. We just want it to keep going, you know? 
Oh, I completely get it, dude. This is the it's just about it's about pushing and pushing. Yeah. Like you have to cut a space for yourself in 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 this new world because again there's just so many different ways to uh bring content to people and bring shows to people that it's you know it's kind of technically easier than ever easy and most difficult (laughs) yeah easy and difficult uh, uh, definitely it's incredible oh another thing we have to touch on here your pretty face is going to hell season four just came out may 3rd at midnight on adult swim and i am just loving every minute of this show it's just it gets me right where i itch Uh, now are you just on the show or you help create the show I mean, I do a great deal of improv, but the show is the complete brain trust of uh, Dave Willis gotcha. and Casper uh, Kelly. So it is their show. Obviously, I will never take that, but it is I am um, allowed to to direct the character of Gary to many different places, which is so much goddamn fun. It's so much fun to have this amount of freedom. How much of what you're doing on screen then would you say is improv? I I make up a lot of horseshit. So <laughs> there is stuff I do say that is fake. Obviously there's stuff that but there's way there's many many scripted lines and all of the plot points are theirs. Like there I'm not creating whole things. I'm mostly just doing jokes. I, I think so, of uh, shows like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. They just kind of, you know, on each scene, give them just kind of a rough idea of what's happening, and then they take it. Would you compare it to anything like that? or, or Oh, or, no, it's far more structured than yeah. that. Yeah, they, they write a lot more than that. Like, Curb is just straight up an improv show. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. And another thing I, I, I got to ask you about, we already, we had Matt Servito on the show a few weeks back and we were kind of talking to him about this, the red body paint, you know, um, when you listen to like, uh, Rebecca Romaine Stamos talk about when she was like all blue for mystique in the X-Men films, you know, she said for days after that makeup, she'd be like shitting blue and coughing up blue. Any experiences no, like that? Oh guys- yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, we like a lot of times it would go into like our sweat. So you'd sweat it out, and when you're sleeping at night, if you're drinking a lot, or you, if you're like, it's it's stuff like that that does happen. But it's weird as as it goes, the the less I don't know, it becomes uh, less dramatic the more and more you do it. Sure, and and We're, we are not. It's not as uh, it doesn't phase us as much anymore because we've been doing this for such a long period of time. And he said that that paint is what made of like some kind of like a krill shrimp or something like that. They say that's like an element from the paint is comes from krill. Yes, it comes from like literally what what whales eat. <laughs> Incredible. Which is hilarious. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or not. I honestly don't. I don't know if it's true, but I know that uh, I uh, I do, do continue to spread the rumor. <laughs> we will fan that flame as well. Yes, see what they do. No, it's pretty great. It's called Cajun Red. <laughs> Cajun Red. I believe it is the same red as what is used in Hellboy, but I'm not quite certain. Well, I mean, it looks damn good. It, it looks comparable to what you see on Hellboy. That's for we sure. have fun, man. It's so much fun. It's so nice to look in the mirror and not see yourself right before you perform. It would be incredible. That's for sure. Pretty great. Now, you've also uh, this season, uh, season four, you've had some amazing uh, special guests come on, like Joy Fatone, John uh, Glazer, and uh, George Went, who <laughs> I just happened to see yesterday playing one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So what's it like to work with these guys? They were great, man. They were so much fun. They had a lot of funny-ass stories. John Amos was great. 
Um, they were it's just nice to have those kind of guys come and goof around on uh, like on us. Like, honestly, just to have them there and kind of it was kind of surreal to watch them have to deal with us. Right. <laughs> Bunch of people being like, man, they must be so mad. To have to deal with all these assholes. <laughs> it's great. You know, Glazer, when I saw him, I think it was on the first episode of this season, you know, he typically plays a really eccentric, uh, very loud kind of character and uh, quite the opposite. He was very toned down for this role. And He's then, a great actor. Oh, absolutely. Uh, huge Neon Joe fans over here, by the way. Yeah, he's a great performer. He's yeah. the best. You know, I I grew up on Cheers, love George Went, and I, I love somebody, you know, he kind of falls in that same category as Matt Servito, where, you know, you see him like in serious roles, comedy roles, and then just stuff like this, where it's just almost uncategorizable. Like, <laughs> I can't believe George Went is playing one of the four horsemen. No, he was, uh, and he was down too. He's really funny, man. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, you know, they, 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 they like to work. So that's what's nice right. to happen. Absolutely. And, and and to what extent uh, do you, or can you even say, are we going to see Joey Fatone? Oh, he was on last week's episode. He was great. Was he? Yes, man. He's just a what a talented and professional guy. He just showed up and just nailed it. He is he is very, very talented. He is. And he's a very interesting character. I've heard him on another podcast, you know, talk about, uh, you know, the whole uh, in it was in sync, right? Yeah. Thing that yeah. Uh, he got his start. And he was saying, you know, at the time, I'm not a dancer. I'm not even that much of a singer. I mean, this isn't even something I necessarily wanted to do. But I knew this is what I had to do to get where I wanted to be. And um, I just always kind of respected that. I don't know. I, I you see these guys when you I don't know. I was a teenager, I think, when in sync was really big. And I'm just like. I wanted nothing to do with these guys. Well, now we truly understand what it means to do that sort of work right. and what it would take to do to change your life in a way that would allow you to position yourself that you could do this kind of work. He's great, man. That's like nothing but respect for that motherfucker. He really just – he nailed it too and he was in such – like he didn't act like he was slumming it. Like he was really excited to be a part of it, which was nice. I don't know, man. It was like I was very inspirational work with him. Yeah, I bet he would be a lot of fun. Yeah, he was laughing quite a bit. So uh, what can we expect in the future then from you? I don't know, dude. I'm just making shit up. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm hoping that uh, more shit will go, you know. I got like um, we're having a good time. We're just making more content, making like really love working on uh, last podcast left. Hopefully we'll have a couple more years in the tank of that. Um, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully um, your pretty face gets picked up for a season five because I'm not ready to stop doing it yet. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's hilarious. And if you haven't seen it yet, people, you need to check it out. It's, is it still a Friday at midnight on Adult Swim? Friday at midnight on Adult Swim. Absolutely. And yes. I'm really, I think it's going to be good, man. I think that uh, this has been the best work that we've done so far. It's a great show. I'm hooked. You know, I, it was kind of the same thing with uh, like Rick and Morty for me. The first time I saw Rick and Morty, I wasn't too crazy about it. But the second time I came back hooked, like immediately hooked. And now I'm tearing through these uh, season four episodes on the website there. So and that's another thing to our listeners. If you happen to miss 
the uh, the midnight uh, premiere of any episode, you can go to adultswim.com and uh, check them out there. Strongly advise doing so. Man, thank this, you, man. No, thank you. This has been so much fun. And we're also going to uh, link all this stuff on our website. And I encourage our uh, people to go to uh, candairpodcast.com. You can check out, you know, details on this episode as well as past episodes, special guests, all that happy horse shit. Find us on Twitter at candairpod and on Instagram at canned underscore air. And we can be found on Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash candairpod. For $5 a month, you get access to our Patreon-only show. Got to get that shit out there really quick. But I think that's probably going to do it for this week. Henry, I want to thank you so much uh, for being uh, on the show here with me. Thank you so much for having me, man. Hail Satan. (laughs) Hail Satan. I am Jeremy Colley, and thanks, everyone, for listening. from outside blowtorch whenever there's a fire in your house be sure to get outside immediately and once outside get on candarepodcast.com well thanks for the tip blowtorch but just one question what about the fire and no one is half the battle gi I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts.